You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season nine, episode 16, the season finale. I recently came across a short video someone posted of me from about two decades ago. And I wasn't prepared for how the video would strike me. There I was, my younger self, boyish in every way but the beard, wearing a sweater vest embroidered with Rudy from the Fat Albert Show over a short-sleeved button-up thrift store shirt, baggy white cargo pants with combat boots. My hair was thick and long and disheveled. It looked like natural dreadlocks. And I was telling a funny story and captivating the room with my usual antics. My mannerisms were a mixture of confident and yet carefree. I kept touching my face, my hair, my beard, perhaps a little insecure, but commanding. It was my younger self, the version of me that had already seen much more than many in their early 20s have seen. The death of friends, the edges of addiction, a troubled home life, the loss of love, And yet on the other hand, the joy and innocence on that young man's face stopped me in my tracks. This man had not seen the things my life has now seen, the good nor the bad. The death of my parents, more deaths of friends and people I grew up with, lost pregnancies, financial challenges, crushed dreams, personal failures, living through a pandemic, but also the realization of dreams, a beautiful wife, the birth of my children, touching the soil of many countries, books written and published, albums made, miraculous breakthroughs, celebrations, moments of creative and spiritual ecstasy, all shoved together in one frame. I have lived 10,000 lives at once and I'm just getting started. Perhaps some people would think that the rugged, battle-worn self of my present day would have looked down upon the naivete of this hippie boy child's raucous laughter and would shake my knowing head in derision. For this young man had no idea how far from his youthful idealism life would one day fling him but I did not. Instead, my heart was pierced with the tip of a Roman soldier's spear. I remembered joy. I remembered the hope of a life still to be lived. I remembered parts of myself that had been fractured, divided, and dispersed across the decades. And in a moment, I received the capacity for healing wholeness, and integration powerful enough to dissolve dissociation. I remembered the joy of first coming to faith, the romance of discerning Jesus's imminent presence pursuing me outside of religious institution. I remembered what it was like to believe that life was waiting for me to realize the dreams I held in my young, pulsing heart. It was only a matter of time, I thought, before God saw fit to bring those dreams to pass. Staring at my younger self, 
I was given permission to live and dream and love and laugh out loud again. I remembered myself and the version I once knew myself to be before the scars of the years formed the atlas of my today skin. I said to young me, you have nothing to fear because I have now faced your greatest fears and have lived through them to tell the story to others. So keep dreaming, young self, and keep moving in the direction of your outlandish demand of possibility. Keep blocking out the voices of critics and naysayers because you are right. They have already given up the fight, but you have not. And please, don't take yourself so seriously. Love well. Don't be selfish. Help others. Keep laughing. Keep believing the best. Don't be offended at God or at your friends because they will both act or fail to act as you wish they would from time to time. But regardless, keep living from your heart because the world needs your heart. These past two years have been the most challenging of our lifetime. I think this is a true enough statement to make on behalf of most everyone I know and have journeyed with. It has been a hellish, confusing time. Personally and socially alike, there are deep psychological and emotional ramifications for what we have walked through. This is one reason why I chose to make season nine of the Makers and Mystics podcast about mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the creative artist. It was the truest assessment of life I could offer. And whereas these discussions have been by no means exhaustive or intended to be prescriptive, I think simply pointing our attention in the direction of the questions we might need to ask ourselves is a great help because no one has come out of the pandemic without scars, without lessons learned, most hard-earned, and some in the form of disguised blessings. But regardless of what our personal experience has brought us over these years, we have all been affected one way or the other. Acknowledging and addressing this is part of our healing. It is the first steps toward moving on. For this season on the podcast, we've talked with therapists, social workers, and pastors. We've heard from filmmakers and poets, choreographers and composers, each offering a taste of their experiences and perspective on our overarching theme of mental, emotional, and spiritual health. If you haven't listened to these conversations, I wanna encourage you to go back and spend some time listening through them. There's so much wisdom there being offered. For today's episode, I want to offer a meditation of my own, a glimpse into some of my thoughts and experiences regarding mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And you know, I'm not a licensed therapist, and so I'm not offering any sort of professional advice to you today. But I do want to share a few personal practices that have served to pick me up and get me moving forward when my own life derailed through the pandemic. 
Abraham Joshua Heschel once said, above all, remember that you must build your life as if it were a work of art. This is the quest of salvation, to become the art God intended us to be when he first imagined us into being. This is what it means to partner with God. It means that we adopt his priorities, his methods and prerogatives to make our lives and the world around us into art. But to do this requires that we take great care with every aspect of our lives, recognizing that nothing is secular and nothing is wasted. Every part of who we are is meaningful and holy. To make our lives into art means that we must learn to view every detail from the monotonous to the magnificent, the relationships to the responsibilities, the laughter and the grief, the inspirations and interruptions, all are vital components working together to form our legacies. The creative stardust we leave behind once our moment is ended and the curtains close. To build our lives as a work of art means that we treat all things with the same care as the artist treats her craft. And how can we know what the great artist desires of our lives but to spend long hours in divine apprenticeship, watching the master at work in the studio of our hearts? You know, for so long and for so many of us though, the framework we have adopted over these past years has been one of survival, not one of thriving. The framework surrounding our lives has been governed by disappointments rather than appointments, by shipwrecks, detours, and the unlived lives of our dreams, by the marks that we missed or believe we have missed. Our framework has largely not been one of viewing our lives as art, and perhaps understandably so. The past two years have brought a complete interruption to almost every area of life. For some, the interruption was only temporary, while for others, it brought a permanent change of direction and colored the way we view the world, the way we interact with the world, the way we think about our own desires and what is or is not possible. Any sense of fulfillment, any sense of possibility or dreams realized became for many the exception to the norm, a rare and untrustworthy occurrence. But this is changing. What is happening now, I believe, is that we are being invited to dream again, to believe again, to dare again, and even to partner with God again in the creation of our lives as art. It's time to reconnect with those parts of ourselves we left behind. Those parts of ourselves that have seemed too far gone, frivolous or unimportant, even impossible to ever reach again. Just like my experience with my younger self, I saw something of me that was once a hallmark of my life that had been misplaced along the way. But I came away with the sense that it wasn't gone forever. And it wasn't all that hard to reconnect with. I simply had to say, yes, that is a part of who I am. That is a reflection of some mystical, ageless version of me. And I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back from the pain of the years. And immediately, 
I was grafted in again. Hope returned. The pieces began to come together. I would imagine that something in your heart leaps at this notion with a yes, if even a reluctant yes. You at least would want it to be true, am I right? This invitation to dream again, this invitation to remember to wonder, as my wife Sarah calls it, it is not expendable. In fact, our lives depend upon it. The legacies we leave the world depends on our capacity for wonder. And no matter how much we might try to ignore or suppress it, hope is stubborn, like the beach ball we try in vain to hold underwater. It doesn't stay there. Hope pops up above the surface again and again. It is necessary for us to hope. Our heart needs to hope, and our hearts need to dream again. Your friends need your heart to dream again. So what do you say that we dream together. To do so might require us to retrain our expectations and even dismantle some of the structures we have erected around our lives over this past season. What we put in place to help us survive in one season will only serve to keep us in bondage in another season if we don't let it go when the time to shed old skin has come. Because the truth is, We cannot survive if we only focus on survival. The human heart is designed to be astonished. It may sound awkward to say it this way, but we have a responsibility to wonder. We have a responsibility to keep believing that hope overcomes despair. We have a responsibility to experience awe and to share it with those in our sphere of reach. And I say this realizing that hope is not self-generated. Hope is not something triggered from the words of someone telling us to have hope. No, hope is poured into our hearts by holding to a greater reality than circumstance. So to have hope requires that we reconnect with the idea of ultimate benevolence. And for some of us, strange as this might sound, we may need to forgive God in order to reconnect with God. Not that God is untrustworthy, imperfect, or in need of exoneration, but if we have been disappointed or disillusioned by what we thought it would mean to follow God, and if things didn't turn out the way we imagined, and if this has brought us to the point that we abandoned any notion of our faith lost trust in God, or made us feel silly for believing in the first place, it might be worth considering that we need to forgive God, to give God a clean slate the way that He taught us to give each other a clean slate, the way we have needed to have a clean slate. So forgive God in your heart and return to wonder. This is the only way forward. My experience of the past few years involved a lot of witnessing my exterior identity being stripped away. 
This was the case for many artists, I've learned, because we were separated from the events and circumstances and patterns of life where we freely expressed those creative communal parts of ourselves. And if we handled the challenge correctly, if we approached the disruption as a gift in disguise, the threshing would serve to strengthen our identity in the soil of something deeper than the praises of people and the accomplishments of our hands. The fires and the threshing and the sifting would serve to expose the subtle idolatries hidden in our hearts and could bring to light places where calling perhaps had become infected with selfish ambition, entitlement, and ingratitude. The sifting of our hearts could show us areas where the freedom to live creative lives was hijacked with an overbearing pressure to provide ultimate meaning from our art and accomplishments. Because our art was never meant to bear the weight of God, it can serve as a window or as an icon through which we see into the invisible, but art was never intended to bear the full weight of our ultimate worth. But for those of us who did not so easily embrace the sifting, the tearing away of exterior identity when the world shut down, this disruption only proved damaging to our sense of self-worth, our personal orientation and sense of purpose. It left us spending a lot of time facing our shadow sides and coming to terms with the unchristlike parts of ourselves that bubbled up to the surface in the face of challenging circumstances. The binding situations that brought us together were removed. Concerts, events, galleries, church gatherings, tours, parties. For many of us, this led to a bit of dissociation deep isolation, and even escapism. It led to toxic forms of individualism and the triggering of old trauma resurfacing and old coping mechanisms rebooted in new situations. Or maybe I'm just telling you my story in third person, but I don't think I'm alone. And if you're honest, you know I'm not alone. I know many of us had so successfully built our fortresses of the exterior life that for a season, we were able to avoid encountering ourselves on this deeply personal and vulnerable level. But the outer structure was not strong enough to hold. We were forced to face parts of ourselves we had spent many years running away from, parts which had laid dormant, perhaps parts we thought we had long defeated, and yet, like the living dead, these old traumas of yesteryears tore through the ground of our hearts and wandered our aimless streets at night until they drew blood or hopefully were put to rest again, buried one final time. For some artists, the isolation and disruption of the pandemic meant constructing a fantasy world where we ran and hid from the pain of our real lives. It meant constructing a place to numb our unresolved feelings and hide from unavoidable circumstances. But it was a flimsy and temporary fix at best and left us with a sense of disconnection from ourselves and from others. 
This feeling of being disconnected from ourselves and the world around us is a mental health concern to be taken seriously. Feeling emotionally numb or detached, harboring darker thoughts or unusual mood swings, these are indicators to pay attention to and also reason why we must seek to meet our need for healthy, thriving community, especially as artists given to experience greater highs and lows than the average person. We need one another, even the introverts and Enneagram fours among us. We must learn to recognize the difference between life-giving solitude and soul-sucking isolation. We are communal beings at our core, with God himself being the prototype, Father, Son, and Spirit. We too are made for interdependence. Left to ourselves, we become self-absorbed and self-deceived. But to say that we need community is not to imply that we only need to be around people or to embrace a particular structure of community. Because truthfully, you can hide in community quicker than most any place else. What I mean by the need for community is the chosen necessity of the faithful few. Who are our people? Who are the ones who know our worst and still show up? These are the ones we can't let go of. These are the ones we must run to when the temptation to isolate is too much to bear. These are the ones to help us walk through the worst of it. This is community. Now, concerning self-deception, fantasy worlds, and the need to escape, I've often made a distinction between fantasy and imagination, even as I've not always lived out the difference. As I use these terms, fantasy is a flight from reality, whereas imagination is a deeper mythic way of encountering and interpreting reality. They may look the same on the outside, but they run opposite directions. The deeper, more dangerous forms of fantasy and escapism involve addictions and unhealthy attachments, actions which not only numb us from navigating our situations, but lead us further into bondage to the very experiences we sought to escape from. But imagination, on the other hand, is a fertile ground, a gift from God where we may hear and experience the voice of the Spirit hovering above the waters, giving us creative ideas and insights, leading us into new territory and new understandings of life. The imagination, or rather the holy imagination, is that place where God seeds our minds with His concepts and enables us again to become the Art he is making through us. Learning to distinguish the difference between fantasy and escapism, imagination and constructive world building is the heartbeat of the creative mystical journey. It is why we must go to the desert and face our own shadows with the light and the life of God within us. I understand that there are moments when our own pain becomes so loud that we cannot imagine a way out of our circumstances or out of what we feel inside, and we lose sight of how our choices affect others. We experience an erosion of empathy. 
Wrong choices become easier to make until we wake up in a dystopian self-made world created from our wounds, one we would have never constructed in clear thinking. This dark way of perception happened for many artists through this past season, myself included. Faith was eroded, empathy eroded, isolation took root, dissociation took root, disappointment became the norm, and then some form of false relief was offered as a quick fix resolve. But what I'm sensing and what I've experienced in my life as healing has penetrated to the deepest parts of my core is that there is a return to our first love waiting for us. There is a wooing us into the desert, a return to the vast and open emptiness where we can encounter God again as if for the first time, where all of the stripping away of exterior identity actually leads to salvation and the realization of our true inner self, the image of Christ within us. All preconceived notions fall away in the embrace of such an all-consuming, pure love. There's a return to joy and a return to freedom through co-imagining a better world with God and with one another. We can outrun the demons of disappointment that tried to chase us away into oblivion. They only chased us to the meeting place where God has swallowed us whole in a timeless embrace large enough to hold the young version of ourselves and the aging version of our present, binding them together in one holistic braid. This is the work of our present moment, to allow God to pull us close again, all of the disparate parts of who we are coming together as one. Several times throughout this season on the podcast, I've made mention of integrity and how the etymology of this word leads to integral and integrate. Integrity means all of the parts communicating and coming together in harmony. Integrity means wholeness. It is the opposite of isolation and dissociation and more than moral uprightness. This is the invitation for us now, for all of the parts of ourselves to come together in Christ under the banner of His love, His creative design, and begin to make sense of our lives again. Does that seem far-fetched? Maybe it is, but is there a better idea? This isn't a pipe dream, it's a possibility, and it takes dedication. Much of my own life had become fragmented and compartmentalized. The parts weren't communicating to the whole. The various versions of myself all functioned within their own context, but they weren't coming together in wholeness. It took a severe mercy to make the reset. I had to fall apart first so that he could put the pieces back together as he saw fit, pruning and grafting according to his wisdom and design. But the truth is, we are all a bit fragmented. This is the human condition. Paul describes it as two natures at war within us fighting for dominance between flesh and spirit. James warns us of double-mindedness. The prophet pleaded, how long will you waver between two opinions while Joshua called the people to choose this day whom they would serve? 
And it is true that we can't choose our way out of trauma. Healing is a process. But we can conclude that peace of mind is rooted in the singleness of intention. And we can understand that integrity and wholeness and sound-mindedness are gifts of having made the choice to side with truth and follow Him wholeheartedly, no matter what the cost may be. Such wholeness is the gift of salvation. Someone described integrity to me as being the same in every situation. Whether praised or despised, whether rich or in need, the core of our character is unshaken by the exterior. This is integrity. This is wholeness, having the worth of our being rooted in the beloved, not in the works of our hands or in the praises or criticisms of the people. Integrity comes from spending time in the presence of the one who can speak our name into existence. I've heard this voice, gentler and yet more ferocious than any other voice. And above any spiritual practice of silence or journaling or meditation, above any wisdom or recommendations of a therapist, more than any platitudes from an online preacher, this voice is the substance of life for me. And the voice says, you are my beloved. And so I return daily and listen for this voice to speak me into existence again and again. I write the words that I hear. I meditate on them until my mind is changed and I am convinced I am the beloved. And regardless of what twists and turns life may take, regardless of what costly mistakes I make, I find myself anchored in the binding presence of eternal love. From this core, all of my paradoxical, sometimes contradictory life springs forth as one holistic expression of praise. And so as we close this season of exploration on mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the creative artist, I want to invite you back to the core of your own being to sit quietly before the presence of the one who speaks and worlds are born. I want to invite you back to the cave of your own solitude to listen for the still, small voice of God, granting you agency and putting all of the fractured, broken pieces back together again. Because you and I are far from done. This is just the beginning. We've got more work to do. We've got more art to make. The world still doesn't quite understand the calling to be art and to make art. The world still needs to understand what it means to be created in the image of a creator. The world still needs to understand that love and forgiveness and humility and thanksgiving are the roots of all creative perception. So as I close this episode and this season on the podcast, I want to simply encourage you, don't give up. Know that you aren't alone. Know that you aren't crazy. And even if you are a little crazy, you're at least crazy in good company. You're crazy in the presence of one who is committed to the long haul. So what do you say that we stick this thing out together and keep going and keep creating through it all? because the world needs your art. And even more so, 
The world needs your heart. Thank you for listening to season nine of the Makers and Mystics podcast. We're going to take a short break while we compile and produce the interviews for season 10. In the meantime, we'll be hosting monthly online gatherings in our creative collective, and I would encourage you all to be a part of this. It's a great place to overcome the isolation and to get to know other artists, like-minded artists who are going through some of the same things that you are. And before we close, I want to be as candid as I can be. It might be a terrible sales pitch, but it's at least honest. Your contribution to the Makers and Mystics podcast enables me to continue to fight as a voice and an advocate for artists of faith. And I hate the feeling of selling myself or trying to convince someone that my work is worth your investment. But the truth is, I'm committed to this work and I need your help to make it happen. So if you enjoy this podcast and you're not currently a monthly patron, please consider becoming a patron today and joining this growing community of artists from around the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my thoughts today and for listening to the guests that I've had on the show this season. It's an honor that I don't take for granted and I'm very appreciative for you. Special thanks to Sean Williams for permission to use his music in this and other episodes of the Makers and Mystics podcast. As always, my friend, keep creating. The world needs your art. I'll see you soon.